Mama loves cheese. Mama loves cheese. It's brilliant, isn't it? Do you love cheese? Oh, not really. What's yours? Um, uh, Sylvian Bells. Listen. That's lovely. It's a bit boring. Uh, it's not boring. It's, it's relaxing. Glory loves it. Sends her right to sleep. Well, do you want me to change yours for you? Can I have mine if you like? Oh, no, no, thanks. I'll, uh, I'll stick with uh, the bing bongs. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 273 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that has never been asked what our perfect Corey moment would be, but if we were, it's DS Swain with an empty cup saying London while the old kebab guy walks across the shot in the background. I'm Gavin. <laughs> ah, and justice for Tupac, finally. Oh, topical. <laughs> he was killed. Yes. Killed in 1998? 1996. Oh. I knew it was an even number. That was a guy that we thought it was all along. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, everybody everybody on my Facebook is uh, insinuating that Diane Feinstein had something to do with it. And now that she's deed, they can finally arrest people. Well, there's two names that I bet nobody was expecting to hear in a Coronation <laughs> Street podcast. Diane Feinstein like to and mix it up. Tupac Shakur. Taken so young. Yes. 90 years old. Oh, I thought we were talking no. about Tupac. I thought we were done talking about <laughs> Tupac. Uh, yeah, and it was really funny because like just two days ago, I shared that picture where she had a Republican senator like kind of against the wall, sort of the way LBJ used to do it. And you, you heard me, my voice kind of fade in and out because I was pointing at the picture of LBJ on the wall mm. over there with, with Obama. Not actually with Obama. No, no. Because he was dead. Right, yes. <laughs> um, I, d- I don't think you were <laughs> painting a very clear image of what happened in the last 15 seconds, but that's fine. And and um, and uh, and the picture of Steli with, with the same LBJ that's in the picture with Obama, you know, leaning over and stuff. And then two days later, she's dead. Is it my fault? Is it my fault? No. Probably not. No. 90-year-old senators who are still in office. Right. With I, shingles. I think highlights a problem, doesn't it? It does. It does. They should have term limits. I mean, this whole thing with Mitch McConnell just constantly just stopping and, and phasing in and out of this universe briefly yep. before coming back. You know, one of these One of these times he won't. Those are not the people that I want running my country. But anyway... Justice for Pac. Well, let's be careful here because no one's actually been convicted of anything. No. So. But still. Alleged and all that sort of stuff. Still, yes. Just like that kid. Just in case the state of Tupac is listening to our Coronation Street well, podcast. Well, no, they, I think they'd be rather rather pleased that we are pleased oh, that I'm someone sorry, has been right. arrested. So, In case the family of the person who's been accused right, yes. is listening to the our Coronation Street. A 60-year-old man. Because let's remember, well, this you know, happened was in 1996. Week, so that was pretty good this week. <laughs> How are you this week? I'm alright. We recorded our SpongeBob Squarecast podcast on Sunday as yes. planned. 
and it's performing rather well. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be enough to coax us into doing a season four of it. I think Stelly would really like to do that. Yeah, she's humming and hawing about it, but it was fun to run through the whole the whole uh, <laughs> was, show again. It was great when she, when she was like, no, wait, we have to do the quiz where you give me money. And you're like, no, that was our Patreon. Yeah, we did that for the Patreon. We had our Patreon for that yeah. podcast. Yeah, you did. That went to Stelly's college fund. So yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, good. What about you? Well, <laughs> so last Saturday, after you finished the podcast, I spent like pretty much all day. Action <laughs> dog. How was your Monday? How was your Monday off? Oh, my Monday off was delightful. Excellent. Yes. I drove to Flint to pick up film to go into the auction that I'm working on oh, now. So you worked then. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, but it was nice because you know, I did I did a little walking around and shopping and stuff. And it wasn't actually Flint; it was one of the suburbs, which is kind of nicer. Although there are nice parts of Flint. There are. Yes, the Flint Farmers Market is perhaps the best farmers market in Michigan. It is such a delight. I love going there. I didn't go there this time around, but it's fantastic. And the art museum in Flint is really good. But anyway, um. You know, most people all they know is a water crisis. And, uh, yeah, so I took Monday off to kind of defrag and cleanse my mind <laughs> of the children's auction, which is actually doing quite well. I have a, a lot of amazing Spider-Man comic books that is, like, almost to $600 at the moment. And a Samantha from Bewitched doll that's, like, at $190 at the moment. And I was not expecting that. I was expecting the Spider-Man because it's got the issue with the first appearance of Black Cat in it. So that's quite exciting. So now I'm working on the physical media auction, which is my big, my big ass premiere auction of the year. This is my biggie. This is my shining light. And it's exciting because I've already incorporated a, a really nice old Dylan poster and a 15th century manuscript cover that you think is the Necromo- Necronomicon? No, I think it's the Necronomicon Ex Mortis. Ah. Just to prove that I'm listening. Right. And Silver Age Batman comics and and uh, Leroy Nelson um, Rocky posters and and also books. So Excellent. I'm, I'm quite excited for that. And, and yesterday... I went and got a mani-pedi, so my feet are no longer monsters. So that was nice, too. I think I'm going to do that every, every time I finish an auction. I'm going to go get a mani-pedi. Spa, you know, spa day. Massage my feet and, and my back right. and my hands and stuff. Yeah, because that book wasn't the only thing that looked like the evil dead. <laughs> check your, your, check, your feet. Check your own feet, sir. My feet are lovely. Your feet are not. I have lovely feet. I have lovely feet and lovely toes. My toenails are lovely. <laughs> well, the painted ones are nice. The non-painted ones are, are even better, some would say. Apart from the Apart from toenail the that was one. ingrown. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that ingrown Cory news. Oh. Morse code for Cory news. In case anyone's wondering. <laughs> like you. I, I didn't wonder. You didn't know. I didn't know. And you I don't didn't care. care. <laughs> there we go. 
Padam, padam. That's hilarious. You like what I did there? Kylie Minogue appeared in an Instagram video reenacting the olive scene between Gail and Kylie Platt. Wait, what? <laughs> Do you remember back in the day in classic Corey when Kylie was still alive? Kylie yes. Platt. Yes. And Gail asked her if she want, was holding a jar of olives and asked Kylie if she wanted some olives. And Kylie said no. And Gail said, I quite like olives. She reenacted that scene. Kylie Minogue did? Yes. Why? Because her name is Kylie. Oh, I see. Did she get someone called Gail to offer? No, it was a guy whose name I can't like, remember. Like the it was woman his who played Gail Robinson in The Neighbours, maybe? No, it was nope. some guy whose name I didn't bother to write down oh. on Instagram. It was actually his feed. But still, well, it was funny. But a Kylie action, you can't beat it. You cannot beat it. And Padam Padam was the song of the summer. It was. Nicola Thorpe's soccer, speaking of not good times, well, maybe good times. Nicholas Thorpe's. Nicholas? Nicola Thorpe. Her stalker will be sentenced in December, finally. And she will be reading a detailed victim statement at the time, bringing an end to a grueling ordeal that began in October 2018. Oh, Jesus. Five years? Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Justice is slow for women. And Justice is slow, full stop, but justice is slow particularly for this this kind of thing this is true yes yeah five years and finally congrats to Corey winners of the inside soap awards shanique sterling brown for best newcomer woohoo and indeed woohoo again right yes well deserved because we were mad at the last Soap Awards. I can't remember what they were. What was the last Soap Awards where Corey was completely shut out? Oh, it was the... It was, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. British yeah. Soap Awards, I think it was. Right, where it? she was nominated and some dude from something else That we won. don't watch. Yeah. Not it, in this house. It was, a, it was a Netflix thing, I think. Just even worse. How <laughs> dare they? Uh, Ryan Prescott and Charlotte Jordan for Best Showstopper for The Acid Attack. It was a good storyline at that point. It was well done. Yes, yes. And Todd Boyce... Uh, oh, no, wait. Not just and Todd Boyce. So forget that. Todd Boyce with his stupid Ohio accent <laughs> for Best Villain. Was it not for, for Best Canadian Accent by an Ohioan? <laughs> no, it's for Best no, Villain. He, no, he didn't win that, noticeably. <laughs> It's funny because there are lots of people on social media that complain about his accent. People are fuming about him winning that. And don't like his accent and stuff. But only I, only I justifiably hate his accent because I hate Ohio. (laughs) No, you don't. Because I'm a Michigander. I I hate their... I hate their football team. I I hate their policy of giving me speeding tickets every time I drive (laughs) through it. But apart from that, I'm fairly ambivalent to them. There there are quite a few things wrong with Ohio, but we don't have time for that. (laughs) And Maureen Lippman for best comic performance. All well-deserved. Except for maybe Todd Boyce. He's a good villain. That's a good. That's a good villain He's a story. Camp villain. What's this wrong whole with that? Thing is so camp. And what's wrong with that? People say that the fun's not in Coronation Street anymore. It's right in front of you, people. It's there if you look for it. It's there with a the guy murdering people and kicking trash cans and sticking people sticks who are in going water. to die anyway. Oh, oh, that's terrible. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News, and that takes us neatly on to World Podcast for Coffee.
we have a new friend of the podcast. Woohoo! What 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 piece of food are they named after? Well, if there's a Trisha burger, <laughs> they're named after that. Thanks to Trisha, who joined the friends of the podcast oh, this week. Her last name's not really Burger. I don't know. Pro- I mean, I guess probably not. If it is, let us know. If it's not, just keep it to yourself. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to impose. So thank you to Trisha. She became a friend of the podcast this week. Thank you, Trisha. Where's she from? Is, I've told you all the information that I know about Trisha. Oh. You know, because we have French people, we have Canadian people, we have American people, and occasionally we have British people. The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes, but if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast like Trisha did through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be grateful. Absolutely. And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about... Oi! Canada Dry! <laughs> this was Carla's catchphrase before before the ball bags. And it was the best thing she ever called Stephen. That's right. That's, and that is right. That was Carla's new nickname for Stephen. I knew you were going to get that one. I was Gavin and you had an itchy nose. <laughs> I wasn't feeling very creative that night. You know, sometimes sometimes you are creative and sometimes less so. A morning podcast for the first time in a while. You were knee-deep in Werner Herzog movies. Tell me a story about a squirrel, which sparked a five-minute chat about Werner Herzog movies, which makes this the most pretentious pre-preamble we've ever recorded. And there's competition. There is. I was two years... Today's might be competition for that, where we mentioned the fact... That Obama Don't mention and again. are on our wall. I was, nah, I was two <laughs> years sober that day, which was a word that I used to avoid. With everyone around her making demands of her time, Evelyn flicks the metaphorical vickies to the street and heads to the tram station. Jenny is making her last goodbyes to her friends and family, but there's something about Stephen that Leo just can't let go so easily. He's tie. Hmm. Time in hospital gives Addy plenty of time to assess his life and the impact he had in others, because I think he got shot this time last year. He's recovered well. And, and, and that was the time that Asha decided she was going to be uh, an EMT and then promptly nope, forgot about it. that wasn't that time. That wasn't? No, nope. no, no. It was, that was the Nina drowning. That was Nina running into the, <laughs> into the canal episode, which we all loved. <laughs> James makes a decision on his football it career. It still makes me laugh. Well, you take your docks off first, wouldn't you? But the club's severance package leaves a lot to be desired. After losing her cleaning job and desperate to bring money into the house, Bernie is forced to get in touch with her doppelganger. Homeless Stew is fairly nonplussed when Alia finds an experienced partner to go through his case notes. Beckett takes down Gary's particulars. Carla is intimidating, and Bob Dover has rainbow laces. Our moment of the week was Bernie backing up Dave to Asha and Addy. Bob and Dover? 
and her boring moment of the week was boring, boring football chat. Yeah, Bob Dover. Was there really a character named Bob Dover? We talked about him at some length last week. <laughs> Did we? Yes. Bob Dover, Bob Dover. <laughs> James's manager was Bob Dover. Oh, that's or Robert right. Dover, probably, right. to give him his And then he his bobbed Sunday over. Mm-hmm. He bobbed over. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street. This time last year, we will take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is not only but also fans. On Monday, Ryan has just finished another wank for cash when well done. Carla comes into the room looking for his help with uh, the weekly shop. He's busy, he says, and demands that she stops checking in on him. If you must know, he's about to wank in front of his American girlfriend, he says. He offers uh, his subscriber another live show, but then catches his reflection in the mirror. This is after Carla goes, and it looks like he's having some second thoughts about this. Daniel is having another go at trying to arrange a date with Daisy in Nina's roles later, but she knocks him back because she has plans with Ryan. Daniel has had about enough of this, but pretends to care and tells her to tell him that he's available for a pint anytime, even though the two of them really aren't that close. No. Back in Carla's spare room, Ryan has filled his sports sock again and is about to log off when his viewer tells him that his filter glitched out and asks if he's the acid attack dude. Ryan quickly snaps the laptop lid shut because that'll turn back time. Is 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 this Ovid site Manchester only? <laughs> is this It's Weatherfield specific, yes. <laughs> because Really? The news has gotten out that far that this this dude in, in Weatherfield got attacked by acid and everybody knows and everybody still cares? Yeah. What? This becomes more ridiculous in a moment, but still. It's already what? it's already pretty ridiculous. But yeah. His, it will get more ridiculous. His though. fan who has only ever seen him with a, a filter or a mask over his face uh-huh. in an anonymous spare room. Right. Is from not only the same city, but presumably the same part of the same city. Now, now the filter only covered that part of his face, right? The it was rest his of whole his face. face. It was his whole face. The rest of his face was not his whole Ryan? Face was, his whole face was covered, yeah. Okay. But I think we mentioned last week that Ryan was putting a lot of faith into this technology. And, right, which is not very good in real life. And Bo and Lehold, that's what happened. <laughs> he lost his cat head. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Daisy goes to see Ryan for the lunch date, but he's been wanking so much he's completely forgotten about it, so he suggests a rain check. She asks if he's been streaming again, shooting more like. He tells her to mind her own and to stop interfering, and then he literally runs away from her. Right, yeah. I think it's... it's He's really... He's so flustered by this, by this anonymous man saying, hey, you're the burden victim, dude. Yeah. That now he has to run. Yeah. Because At this he's point, so flustered. I thought it was Sean. Clearly not. Right. So when Ryan gets back, Suki Waters from the Gazette is at his door, wanting a word about all the wanking that he's been doing online these days. Is it a slow <laughs> news week in Weatherfield that we have to go back to an old story and then invade a man's privacy to make public the fact that he has essentially an, an OnlyFans? An empowering story. 
she says. Yes, it's an empowering story about wanking in front of strangers on the internet. Yep. So empowering. I feel empowered what just talking about fuck? it. fuck? <laughs> I know the British press can be terrible. Terrible. Yeah, where the gazette's in the gutter here, isn't it? To celebrities. But just an average Joe on the street who went through a traumatic experience, you're going to broadcast the fact that he gets naked for money and call that an empowering story. What the hell is wrong with the Weather Gazette? Yeah, what I, is wrong here? This is as bad as when they reported on Sally taking a wee in the garden <laughs> and posted a picture of it on the front page. Remember mm-hmm. that? It was shocking stuff. Did they? That's did they, Piers Morgan for you. Did they, did they put a picture of Ryan's penis on the front page, I ask you? They did put a picture of him, though. Yeah. They took a screen grab. Right. And it was I think it was online only. I don't think it made it to the print edition. So different standards, I guess. <laughs> I'm still mad for Sally. <laughs> Ryan denies it, but Suki knows that it's true. She thinks it's an empowering story which will go live with or without his comment. He tells her to fuck off and darts inside the flat. This is so disgusting of her. Yeah. I do not like Suki. No, and I don't think... Uh, we've ever really liked her. She's always been a little kind trashy, of dubious, moral approach to her job. Right. The other one was better. What was the other one's name? The one with brown hair? Van Morrison. <laughs> I have no idea. In the pub, Daisy tells Daniel that Ryan forgot about the lunch date just as Carla and Ryan come in. He nips straight for a shite while Izzy and Sean read the Weather Gazette article. So now the whole pub knows that Ryan has been wanking off on the internet for money. And Sean is really shocked and surprised. We're like, oh, so I guess it's not Sean. Ryan comes back from his shite and sees the article and pretends to be laissez-faire about the whole thing. Who amongst us hasn't wanked for cash online, he says. Carla, though, thinks this is a big deal and not good for his mental health. He says he does need protecting as Sean noisily subscribes in front of him and approves of what he sees. Ryan eventually storms out. Daisy's not amused. Daniel wonders why his girlfriend cares so much. And Daisy says... Maybe there is too much to see of somebody that you see every day. And we got uh, an email this week from our somewhat new, somewhat regular correspondent, uh-huh. Chiki, about this and their thoughts on Sean's behaviour and all this, which they thought was quite reprehensible. It was pretty gross. And to be doing that... Like right in front right of in front of him. Yeah. And kind of taken an enormous amount of pleasure from from doing it you know you maybe take a little mental note to check that out in in private but he's right. doing it in the pub and he went it's he drags izzy into it as well and right. she at least seems somewhat embarrassed, embarrassed about it but yeah. he's and he's just so gleeful and right and, I, yeah, I didn't really like it at the time. No. And it kind of sat uncomfortably with me. And it sat uncomfortably with me, particularly because Sean, over the past couple of weeks, has actually been tolerable. When when Ryan first started his workout videos, let's remember, it was Sean who was taking screenshots of his torso for his spank bank as well. Right. And talking very openly about the fact that that's what he was going to do. So this isn't the first time Sean has been reprehensible in the storyline. It is a little icky that of everyone here, it's the gay dude who's being reprehensible. Although it's the gay dude who is believably reprehensible because 
Billy and Paul and, and James wouldn't do that. No. And the fact that nobody called him on it. That no Carla dimension. Didn't, right, exactly. Carla didn't turn around and tell him to shut his f- stupid fat mouth. <laughs> right. Which, you know, I was shocked that Carla didn't do that. I agree. And that just seemed to accentuate the the ridiculous behavior from the right. fact that nobody mentioned it. Yeah, the fact that it was said, terrible. Wait a minute. Does this, what does the show think of this? This is Right. This seems unremarkable. to be playing for laughs. Right. In this scene. And that's kind of gross. What did you make of Ryan's reaction to it, though? Because on the surface of it, I was quite, I was quite pleased for him. You know, fuck them. Yeah. Why? Why should? Why should you care what these people think about you? Right. If he hadn't looked himself in the mirror earlier mm-hmm. on and looked a little uneasy, yeah. I think I'd have been happier. But right. But he seemed to at least be putting on a decent pretense that he's okay with all this right but you know it's pretense and so that makes it not great right you know i'm i in a way i'm kind of glad that it's out in the open Mm -hmm. because it now gives ryan a chance to kind of actually evaluate the actions that he's been taking and the fact that nobody thinks it's a good idea it's not just daisy who doesn't think it's a good idea right you know Sean seems to think it's a good idea, but well. fuck, fuck him. Back home, Carla wants an explanation. Ryan refuses to be shamed by this and says that he's not harming anyone and he's making some cash, but Carla thinks he's still locking himself away and degrading himself. Ryan reckons it's empowering. If that's the case, says Carla, why keep it secret? She tells him he's been through a lot and he shouts at her. He knows he's been through a lot because he's been through it. Mm-hmm. He was there, but now he's in control. Carla calls that bullshit and insists that he hates what he's doing. He says that she feels ashamed for him and storms out. And later in the Rovers, Daniel has worked out that Daisy already knew about Ryan's Wank Olympics thing and she admits it. He gets salt down his foreskin about how close she and Ryan is. How close is too close, he says. She calls him snide and sends him on his way. And later, Ryan, who doesn't work at the factory because he wanks for a living, storms into the factory to shout at Carla. She's told Michelle about his antics. How dare you, he screams. She right. says, if he's not ashamed, then it shouldn't matter. Then it matter. should be a problem. Well, there's one thing about not being ashamed about it and another thing about not your... wanting your mum to find out. Right. Yeah, but if your auntie already knows, then what's one more, you know, strong woman in your life? I guess. He screams at her to stop controlling him. Or Michelle. Right, rather than or like or a nice person, <laughs> rather than apologise, she tells him to close his account down. Suck my balls, he says, and he storms out as quick as he stormed in. A grumpy Daisy finds Ryan in the community garden later, but Ryan doesn't need it from her along with everyone else. She thinks this isn't about money for him; it's validation that he's looking for. He still sees comparisons between what she was doing when she was an influencer and what he's doing now. She tells him his scar is part of him and he's gorgeous in every way and that's what she needs him to know. So Ryan goes home in a quieter mood and he and Carla make up but one thing is clear from all this, he can't continue living there and so he's moving out. Peter doesn't want him and Carla has paid off Rufus's wife. Really? Already? So he really isn't needed anymore anyway. Yeah, I was really surprised by that fact as well. 15 grand watch just... Paid off in like a month. Right. Really? If you can pay that off in a month, then this isn't a big deal. (laughs) This isn't the big deal that you've been making this out to be then. Right. I wonder if Rufus's wife 
once she calmed down. Got bored with the storyline? Didn't think there was any drama left in it? Yeah, maybe. D- decided to, to cut it in half or something. Because she does honestly like Carla. Yeah, she seems so. to. Yeah, they were friends. But and then they, that's the sort of thing you would expect to maybe see. There's lots of things the show lots of things the show doesn't let us see. Anyway, so. it's delightful that you're filling the blanks in such a wholesome way. I'm on, trying. On Tuesday, Ryan is on his laptop and in the rolls, but not like that. No. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh you'd have the place shut down. <laughs> I thought it was bad enough when there was a dog in there. <laughs> when racist Kelly catches wind that he's looking for a flat, she offers him a room at her place. He's worried that she's twelve, but she says she's twenty, which again surprised me so he considers it and she doesn't try to get her hole off of him so it's win-win daisy comes in and is concerned by the suggestion oh do fuck off says ryan so ryan drops back and i'm with ryan on this yes seriously she 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 can't be everywhere for him right and she can't control every aspect she's more controlling of his life than carla is so ryan drops back at carla's and apologizes again and thanks her for looking out for him but he's still moving out and he's ripped off the plaster Time to stand on his own two feet and get some fucking privacy for his wanking. So racist Kelly gives Ryan the grand tour later and so long as he doesn't get up to anything too pervy, he's free to move in. How much, says Ryan, wetting a finger and thumbing his way through a wad. But not like that. Daniel comes into the rovers to apologise for yesterday. He finds out that Ryan is moving to the precinct with racist Kelly and she worries about him not having a support system. That's Daisy, that is. Daisy can't go and talk to him, so Daniel says he will because he's really good at calming stormy waters and sniffing things. So Daniel finds Ryan with a few boxes and bags about to move in, so Daniel offers a hand. And then there's some young hoodlums who are hanging around up to no good who shout abuse at him about looking like Freddy Krueger. Like those kids know who Freddy Krueger is. (laughs) What the hell? When did the last Nightmare on Elm Street movie come out? 2010 <laughs> that late i don't know i mean you used to see freddy all the time like in commercials for pizza hut <laughs> which is just hilarious right but you know he was i think out of all of them freddy krueger is the most beloved horror movie icon of of our generation i'm loving it bitch <laughs> That that and the and the child's play doll, Chucky. Chucky, yeah, I, Chucky and Freddy, I think, which is hilarious because they keep making Halloween movies, and people are like, "Where are our Freddy Krueger movies?" At least Child's Play is back on TV. So where is this generation's Freddy Krueger? Who would that be? Uh, would it be the Scream? The it's maybe Scream, but I think it's also things maybe like Saw movies. I think they're different. Yeah, different movies that if they make more movies with Megan. Then oh, Megan no. would be. No. Gen Z loves Megan. Or is it Pete Davidson? Or or no, it's that nun. That nun that we just can't escape. The nun? The nun. <laughs> the scary the big scary nun. How's Pizza Hut expecting to sell pizza with a fucking <laughs> nun? How is Will Smith supposed to make a hit song with a nun? Ryan reacts very violently, screams in their faces until Daniel shoes them away. In the kerfuffle, one of the boxes was dropped, and when Daniel goes to pick it up, he finds a shoebox labelled Ryan Steroids, and it's full of, wait for it, steroids. What? 
In the flat, Daniel brings up the steroids, which Ryan obviously doesn't want to talk about. Daniel thinks the roid rage that he witnessed outside could get him into trouble. And there's an awkward wee moment where Daniel seems to suggest that Michelle wouldn't approve, but Ryan thinks he's talking about Daisy and Daniel has to correct him. And Ryan asks Daniel to keep shtum about all of this. So Ryan's all moved in and he has a chat with racist Kelly, who seems keen to know about his porn career. He promises not to do anything while she's there and they organise a system to notify her when he's busy if she comes back. If you know what I mean. And she also seems to spot his steroids. And not say anything. But the two of them, though, seem to be getting on pretty well in the flat. Yeah, and that's nice. Yeah, she asks him if he's ever had a gay experience, but he says that he's only gay for pay. He doesn't <laughs> even like looking at naked men on steroids. And racist Kelly, she does, and smirks when he doesn't bite at the mention of the steroids. Right, or that she likes the look of men on steroids. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, and I hope this doesn't happen. <laughs> no, 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 surely not. It's almost like she wants to get in on the action of the of the of the Ovid's videos. Oh really? Like the two of them together well, doing special special events. Let's be honest, racist Kelly is clearly a damaged girl. Yes. And I don't think the nice chat she had with Roy that one time has solved everything for no. her. So she still has issues. Yeah. So she's damaged and Roy Royan. Royan? The Roy has, let, let's be absolutely clear here, Roy has nothing to do with this. I didn't say Roy though, I said Royan. I'm just, I'm just, laying, that, that I'm just laying that down just so we're all clear on Royan? Is that even a name? Royan. You saying it more often isn't making this better. <laughs> Ryan is also very damaged, you right. know, and neither one of them are taking care of their damaged bits. So they're going to be damaged together and I can't, I cannot see a scenario where that's a good thing. There's a reason for the two of them being together. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually linking the two of them together. I'm liking Racist Kelly for kind of the first time ever. She was quite nice in those few scenes that she was in this week. Right. But, but where why? are we going with it? And right. where are we going with it? And I would no be less suspicious good. if she hadn't spied the steroids. Right. And also had many, many questions about... about Gay experiences and stuff. Well, and also, you know, doing sex for people online. Right. And we find out that she's 20, which may be important as well. Right. Still quite young, though. Yeah. Anyway, on Wednesday, Daisy finds Daniel in Nina's roles. He's been thinking about asking Ryan to do a talk at the secure unit thing, the young offender's place, about being a survivor of violence, which might be good for him and his students. And he goes round to see if Ryan's interested, because Daisy thinks this is maybe a good idea. So Daniel goes... She doesn't seem to want to share Ryan with, with Daniel. No, she doesn't, does she? So Daniel goes and makes his pitch to Ryan, who doesn't see there being much in it for him. Daniel thinks Ryan could do some good, so they arrange to meet up later to talk about it more, and they meet up later in the bistro to talk about it more. And there's a funny little scene where they pretend that they're on a date for some reason, and to break the ice, Daniel asks Ryan for the best run of albums in music history, and cites his favourite as being R.E.M. from Murmur to New Adventures in Hi-Fi as being ten monster albums. My favourite album. With life's rich pageant being the high point, it says, and that's where he's wrong. Well, yes, because Daniel has to be wrong somewhere. I'm surprised but this that this is where something... I like Ryan or Daniel the most. 
This is like the first time I've really liked Daniel. Yeah. We, we've, because he's we not have a wrong about the run of the albums. Right. right. Uh, they <sighs> chat about his videos and his wanking and stuff. And then Ryan announces that Stevie Wonder from 1970 to 80 with Science Delivered to Hotter Than July is his pick. And he's also not wrong. Daniel announces that Ryan has gone up in his estimations. Well, you've made my day, says Ryan. And the two of them seem to be getting on pretty well. People online seem to think that that this love triangle is going to be a closed one. Is everyone fucking Ryan? Is that what's going to happen? Everyone. Everyone. Even Roy. No, no, no. Roy. no. Roy. Shame on you. No. You brought it up. I said Royan. That has nothing to do with Roy. That's a made up name that just came out of my mouth because my brain is dead. Um, yeah, that, uh, that apparently the sexual tension in that scene was very evident. Well, they were feeding each other. And they were feeding each other sausage. <laughs> or chorizo. Which, which is, is sausage. sausage. Yeah. Mm. Would you like a little kielbasa? <laughs> Ooh. And yeah, Dewey and, for and, the gentleman. And once again... Once again, Daisy walks in and she's not happy no. to share either one of them with the other. Right. Oh, are we going to get, are we going to get a thruple out of this? What, oh. what was the other thruple we were hoping for? Oh, that was Ronnie and Debbie and Jenny. Wasn't it? Or was that just me? No, there was a racist love triangle between. Yeah, we don't want that though. And that wasn't really a love triangle because everybody hates racist Kelly. Oh, that's true. Except for Ryan. Ryan agrees to do the talk and they share their food like a gay couple when Daisy drops in a little freaked out. Ryan is about to leave but Daniel insists that they all sit like best fucking pals and enjoy themselves and he may have even patted the seat next to him. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. How do we feel about this development? Well, well this set of developments because lots of stuff happened in the Ryan storyline this, this week. I'm glad he's moved out of Carlos because now the chance for Carla to walk in on him doing this yeah. has gone. Right. And I was like, thank God for that, because that's been a worry. Yeah, it's bad enough Peter here listening through the door. That was pretty Yeah. I was like, Oh please, Peter, don't open that door. And Ryan seems to have uh really taken the Peter stuff to heart. Yes. Because he's brought up a couple of times about, you know, Peter doesn't want him there, Peter wants him out. It's only really mentioned once, and he kind of stopped mentioning it again. Right. So I don't know if it was even a concern. And now that no. the watch thing has been paid off, probably even less so. Yeah. But it's good for him to get out, and it's good for him to get on his own two feet. Right, it's good. I do still worry that he's maybe not mentally ready for that. No. And also that he's also with another person who's mentally not ready for that. Mm-hmm. You know, which can lead to just really... The scenarios that run through my head about what might happen between Ryan and Racist Kelly, I just don't want to think about it. But Racist Kelly's age now of 20 makes me like her stepdad even more. Because remember, the problem with the stepdad was you need to go out and get a job. And she's like, I don't want to. Well, wait a minute, you're 20 years old and you're not in any education. So what, you're just hanging about the house then? You just like to defend other stepdads, don't you? We've got to stick together. <laughs> we got a bad name. Not as bad as stepmothers. I don't know. I've never been a stepmother. <laughs> I'm so glad for you. Thank you. <laughs> I 
I never have to pretend to like somebody else's children. Yeah, it takes a while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's only kidding, kids. Still learning. (laughs) I do like that he's moved out. I do like that the whole... You know, Ovid's thing is out in the open, and he's just pretending not to care. But now that it's out in the open, should he care? I think everybody has a point that maybe this is not the best way forward for dealing with his trauma. I think he does need to deal with his trauma better. And I think actually, although I can see this going horribly as well, him going to speak to the young offenders, I think. And him choosing, yes, I'm going to go and speak to the young offenders. I think that's 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 a positive step forward. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, ugh, Daniel, there's no way in hell he's going to do that. And then he agrees to do it. I was like, whoa, right. the chorizo worked. <laughs> Sausage can do anything. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to our next storyline, which is a farewell to Shelley. On Monday, in Nina's Rolls, Dee Dee has a present for Paul, black fingerless gloves that I thought were for the funeral, but I think might be for his wheelchair stuff. Right, yeah, it's for wheeling around. Bernie refuses to dress solemnly, and Paul feels sad, and Billy reminds him that it'll be because of the funeral. That's the sort of insight that a man of God can give. Dee Dee understands and says it's important for him to talk about his feelings. Shelley has a rainy day for a funeral, presumably so it can brighten up at an appropriate moment. Paul will be doing a reading, and that's the way an obvious scoundrel comes along demanding a ride to the funeral, and this will be Shelley's brother, Kieran. Right, yeah, the one who couldn't be bothered to visit her in her last days and is not paying for this funeral. So Billy's in a church. What? Billy's in a church, in a church. Billy's in a church. na 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 Billy's in a church. Anyway, grooving along to Abide With Me with the gospel choir that Shelley always wanted. Billy invites Paul to do a reading, which upsets Kieran. He and Billy exchange words and there's an altercation where Kieran knocks Paul's cane away and Paul accidentally, or was it, punches Billy in the mouth. Right. You're in the house of God! Yes, yes. Believably this man who seemingly didn't care one shit about his sister gets mad and starts fighting physically with a man with MND. Yeah. A nice man. Right. Yeah, let's let him do a reading. And then is promptly booted out and we never see him again. Nope, and nor will we, I doubt. Why? Why did we have to insert this man into this storyline? What is the purpose of this man? There is no purpose of this man except to cause a disturbance at Shelley's funeral mm-hmm. and then go away again. I like a good punch-up at a funeral. <laughs> Bernie and Todd throw Kieran out and Paul struggles to get to the podium to do his speech, but he doesn't manage a word of it anyway and Bernie has to lead him back to his pew. Paul and Billy take a break through the back of the church while the gospel choir keep the crowd entertained. They're on overtime now. Mm-hmm. Paul thinks that he ruins everything. That's why the Kieran thing happened. Billy blames Kieran even though Paul did play his part in it. And Billy says Shelley would have ripped. He shoved Mike. Billy says that Shelley would have ripped Kieran's throat out. He says the funeral is for the living and suggests they go back through and say goodbye to his friend. So Paul goes through and reads a speech that he definitely got Chat GPT to write for him. No, it's Ecclesiastes. He struggled. Well, that bit was. So God wrote it. He or the 
or Paul did. He struggles through bits of it, so Billy needs to get, not that Paul. No, Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. Isn't that a letter? I thought it was one of the letters. No. Oh, okay. Shows you what I know. He struggles through bits of it, so Billy needs to get involved and helps him. Paul will never meet someone like Shelley ever again. And then the clouds break and a rabbit runs through the church, chased by a packet of angel delight. And Shauna's son. Clayton. <laughs> runs crisscross through the pews. Yes. Because <laughs> he can't find any gravestones. That's a, a joke from Corey from four years ago. And it's still funny. Well, we laugh. <laughs> At least they had the good grace not to play the Betty Hill theme this time. Yakety sacks. In the pub... <laughs> In the pub later, Paul is glad the funeral is over and goes off to put some tunes on the jukebox and this leaves Billy and Todd to talk. Billy sobs as he admits that the next funeral will be Paul's and it may be one day soon. He hopes. <laughs> Stephen is still out there. Oh, that's what he hopes. Yes. <laughs> he hopes that it's Paul. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't clear <laughs> immediately. Back home, Paul talks to Billy about something like a spiritual moment he had during the funeral when the Angel Delight packet blew through. He talks about his plans for life, the joy and the pain, and how it's all a plan, and Billy kind of likes the sound of this. Paul thinks something more than them is behind it all, and he felt it, and it felt like Shelley had moved on to somewhere brilliant, and maybe it'll be all right for him too. Which is nice. On Tuesday, at the God's Flat, Billy has a quick meeting with the bishop. Oh, not like that! Paul is heading off to German... To Germany? No. <laughs> Paul... Paul isn't going to Germany. He's going to Gemma's to try out his <laughs> wedding gear. Billy reminds him that anything cock-shaped is out, apart from real cocks. And also fairy lights. Right. Which is an allusion to Gemma's wedding gown. So Paul is in Germany, looking like he, walks, <laughs> he works in a call centre in his wedding gear. He still wants to walk down the aisle, but he's going to need Bernie and Gemma on either side of him. They're both made up because this makes it sound like they're the ones who are walking them down the aisle in, the right. more, in a more traditional sense. Right, yeah. And Bernie at one point says, well, that's not traditional. And I'm like, Bernie, when the hell have you cared about traditional? Seriously. Billy joins Paul at the quad house later. They're not going for the free booze at the Rovers in a different storyline. Gemma doesn't seem too worried about losing her job, but decides to get fucked at the wedding. Bernie looks forward to Paul being a ghost. Just like Shelley, which was weird. On Wednesday, in it's the, Bernie in the God Flat. They have a few minutes to kill, so Paul and Billy sing "Oh Happy Day" for an uncomfortably long time. Let's all remember, Sister Act and Sister Act Two are their two favorite movies. They're up to high though because the registrar is coming round to discuss their wedding, which we will find out later is happening tomorrow. What? Later, Paul asks the registrar to change their exit music to "Oh Happy Day." And the registrar says that there can be no religious music at a civil service. That's weird. Paul asks for an exception, saying he's dying. No! Screams the registrar. And the registrar's refusal to bend the rules puts Paul on a bit of a downer when they meet with Bernie and Summer and Nina's roles later. Billy seems more bothered by Paul and Bernie going on about it than actually being bothered by the thing. Because he knew that it wouldn't be possible. Is that... It, what's the reason for that? It was a government building. People people can't sing religious songs in government buildings in the no. United Kingdom. People sing religious songs in government buildings in America well, all the time. Separ- there's a separation between church and government. 
Right. F- famously. Yes. It doesn't stop even Barack Obama from breaking out in Amazing Grace sometimes. Of course, most of the times well, he does that in a church. You, but should, you, know. you should write a letter to complain about that then if you feel so strongly about it. I do. Because these the in the United Kingdom they still teach prayers and stuff. Do they? Sometimes, don't Do they? they? Do they? I thought they did. What made you think that? Seeing scenes where they talk about God and stuff in church and in British television. Maybe I'm thinking of Ireland. Never mind. Back in the flat, Paul rolls in on Billy praying. Paul knows that he's gutted about not getting no happy days or exit music. And Billy shrugs like, why are you making such a big deal about this? Then it seems like Paul has found God and he and Billy talk about praying and so that's what they do, thankfully in silence, but only for a bit because Paul feels stupid and looks like he's shitting himself, but that's the end of that. Hmm. Billy has packed his bags later. He's off to a hotel for the overnight because the wedding is tomorrow. What? A hotel probably has better disabled facilities, but whatever. They joke around about being excited about their big day. Billy insists nothing about this is second best for him. Tomorrow is going to be perfect. And with Billy fucked off, Paul has called over Bernie, Todd and Summer. He has a request for both of them for tomorrow. But we don't know what it is. And it's like, Paul, just for once, just go with the plan. Right. Don't go stealing any cars for this. <laughs> don't go shoving Mike. Just, you have a plan, fucking stick to it. Stick to the and plan. And nothing will go wrong. So, that's as far as we get with that. What on earth is Paul, Paul up to? He's putting fairy lights in his shirt. One has to assume it's got something to do with the fuss that Paul is making about Billy apparently wanting to have this religious ceremony that he's not been able to get. Yeah, I mean, they could they could legally get married in neither a church nor a government building correct like at a park presumably right and then they could have a happy day and they could have like an actual preacher and they could make it religious just not in a church the thing is if they were getting married in the register's office and they handed over the cd and said play this at Uh. the end of it they'd probably just play it right I and mean, I mean, be- better to ask for forgiveness and permission sometimes. Right, yeah. And also, I mean, Oh Happy Day is like, it's like mid-level, like, it's not, it's not, well, it's not Amazing Grace. It, you know, it's, Jesus is mentioned, like, only in the when Jesus washed my, my sins away part. The Oh Happy Day could be about anything. And in fact, I've heard versions of the song where they just take Jesus completely out of it. Yeah. So. From Lou Reed's version of it. Right. Oh, that was perfect day. Yeah, no, that's a different song. That's a different all, song. All together. That would have been allowed. Yes. Yeah, I just <laughs> It would want- be appropriate, but it would be allowed. I just wonder, I wonder what Paul's going to do to ruin this. <laughs> right. He's, he's going to do something. Because you were, were wondering about the. The, the point of him having the fisticuffs with Kieran and, and again I think it's because he can't trust himself not to get involved in something like that an important thing right he, he distracts the attention away from that thing to his actions even though he was provoked somewhat by by Kieran so here he is about to do the same thing to mm-hmm. their wedding 
and he keeps on not telling Billy stuff. It's so frustrating. Right, yeah. Because here we have, that's the first gay couple. Is this going to be the kibosh on it? Is this wedding not going to go ahead? I, mean, I, I doubt it. It's got to go ahead. They it's can't pull back ahead. now. And he's not going to die. They're I was, not Disney. I was worried it was going to die during it. I don't think that's going to happen. It better not. But I wonder if this religious experience that Paul has had will affect his plans for euthanasia. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. That's why, you know, I was surprised that that didn't come up at all. Although he didn't really get a chance to have Todd alone. No. To discuss such things. But still. It's so cheesy though, isn't it? The sun shining through the stained glass window. It's the stereotypical, cliched, hackneyed funeral that we talked about a little while ago about something else. Right. Oh, you always see a rabbit running across the grass outside or or a rainbow or there's always something. Or a cardinal. (laughs) Not a religious cardinal. No, no, the bird. (laughs) A bird. Because, yeah, that's a symbol of the dead visiting the If you're looking for a sign, you will see a sign. Right, yeah. Yeah, it just seems like the sunbeam through the stained glass window is so overused at yeah. this point. Come on, guys, be more creative. I really knew that Shelley was there when I saw Paul punch Kieran in the face. <laughs> right. That felt more Shelley than, you know, than a cliche. It did. And it seems that the whole kerfuffle about Bernie and the laptops and all that is... It's done and dusted, and we don't seem to be mentioning that again. Right. I wonder if that will come up. I wonder if Kieran will find out about it and get his. Oh God, I hope not. I hope we're done with him. Revenge. Yeah, I do. I hope so too. But knowing the show, Hmm. introducing a character. Oh, let's introduce another new character. Yep. Yeah, let's let's introduce a character just to boot him out Mm -hmm. and never see him again. That's unlikely, isn't it? You know what I did like? I liked the Beatles joke. Paul says George, and George says Paul, and Todd says Ringo. Yes, that was yeah, funny. That was funny. I yeah. was I just wish there was somebody named John still in the cast. Sadly, Johnny has washed away oh, with a floating gun. Forever to regret that the chili con carne is served without rice. <laughs> Let's move on to our next storyline, which is do you want a bet? On Monday in the Rovers, Ronnie gets word that the land sale will go through as planned and it'll be theirs later today. Oh, pig's tits. Ed is worried that getting sued might be the easiest option here, but Ronnie thinks that they should hold their nerve. And in his roles, Ed has been shifty with the newspaper when Ronnie comes in, catching him at the racing pages. Ed pleads innocence. Ronnie is back from the cop shop and it seems that they've already finished their work on the site, although that forensic stuff has been done. Interesting. Oh, quick sharp wasn't it right yeah there was a large property are they sure they combed the whole thing because it doesn't sound like they found a suitcase full of burnt clothes yet so they can get moving on the build again ronnie makes himself comfortable to keep an eye on ed and asks if he should take the business account away if he's going if it's going to be temptation and ed reacts badly to this and leaves because all through this ronnie's talking about going away on holiday with debbie but he doesn't want to leave ed alone if he's struggling Mm mm-hmm Ronnie catches up with Ed at home. Ed is still angry that Ronnie will sooner cancel his holiday with Debbie than leave him with the company card. Ed insists that he can be trusted. And that's, surprisingly, enough for Ronnie. In the pub, 
Ed and Ronnie meet up. Ed's late because he was stuck on a call and Ronnie barely notices the comment. Right. And that's as far as we get with that. So, mm. <sighs> What are we doing here? I'm confused about the approach here because we had a little spell a few weeks ago where it looked like Ed was gambling again, but it was the show was very careful not to show him actually gambling. Mm. He was shown with lots of temptation around him. Like that guy that said bet a million times. Right, yeah. Bet, 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 bet. Bet, 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 bet. But then we saw him definitely make a bet. Right. Or what it looked like. He was yeah. cheering something on. He right, had a yeah, coupon. Yeah. And all of a sudden, their immediate financial worries are gone. Huzzah! But, but now we're dealing with them kind of where it's implied more than anything else again. So I'm, I'm not sure yeah. what we're meant to think. I don't know. And that's all that happened there. still don't know how I feel about the storyline. I am surprised that Forensics is done on the site. Mm -hmm. It seems like maybe they didn't look everywhere, that they only did like around the body. I think Forensics is done so this storyline can continue. Yeah, there's that too. I I heard a really fascinating Forensics story on a podcast earlier today where they have like this, a bird expert who, who studies like vultures and stuff. And could determine that the body that they found had been moved because there was evidence that some body parts had been in one place and most of it was in another place. And it's and the, the buzzards don't care about blood, so they weren't there for blood that they could still find over there. So there must have been brain matter there as well, which had already been eaten by the buzzards. Anyway, it was much more fascinating in the podcast than, than the retelling of it much by me. Much more fascinating in that other podcast. Yes. Okay. So right. it's cool. I like buzzards. Sure. Let's move on to our next story, which is Addy of Love. Blah. On Tuesday, at Dev's, Asha is still complaining about Courtney and her bathroom use. How long does it take to wash a pair of tits? Addy tells her they'll be moving out soon, so chill out. Get her tell, says Asha. In these roles, Addy has tried to speak to Courtney Boobs about this and she takes it as expected, saying that they need to get their own place pronto. Addy wants that too, but they're broke and Courtney accuses him of being too scared to move out of his dad's and demands that they find some place today. A lovely person, this Courtney. Yeah. Later, Asha is furious to find that Courtney has left her wet clothes in the washing machine again. She continues to nip at Addy about Courtney finding a job and moving the fuck out, but Bernie has an idea of a potentially cheap solution. Moving to the quad flat. No. No. Moving to Shelley's old haunted place. Yes. With the ghost of Shelley. <laughs> Being a, a ghostly live wire. Mm. Later, Courtney shows off her new nail job. Addy is concerned for the cost, but she snaps at him that she used a voucher and she was embarrassed doing so. He tells her about Shelley's flat, which is still out of the price range, but she still wants to go see it. Asha is far from impressed, which forces Courtney to launch into a sob story about being raised by her grandparents after her parents were killed in a car crash when she was two. Mm-hmm. Asha, in Canada. Asha, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know where it was. Asha raises the people's eyebrow. Then Asha drops the people's elbow and another jabroni hits rock bottom. <laughs> Privately, Asha says that Courtney is only with Addy for revenge. And she's right. Yeah, yeah. She, she's not the only one who makes that observation this week. 
So adding Courtney got a grand tour of Shelley's old place, and apart from it being haunted, the place is a tip and they can't afford it. And there's a ghost. And also the landlord is horrible and doesn't wash his hands after using the bathroom but loudly. When, but when the landlord asks what they think, Courtney says they'll take it, much to Addy's surprise. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, breakfast at Dev's, Addy and Courtney announce that they're moving out. Asha thinks it's a real shame. Dev refuses to finance any of this and leaves in a huff. Addy announces that he doesn't have the full deposit. So, and Nina, Nina's reaction to this was quite funny. She's like, what are you playing at then? Right. You're a muppet. Right, yes. Nina, who made breakfast for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because at least Asha has finally dated a decent person. Yeah. Asha suggests that he sells his first true love, his Xbox. Right. So Addy does a suggest... And we're like, wait, does that mean that Kelly's coming back? <laughs> packs up his Xbox to sell. And he does that Mary Kondo thing where he's... He's saying thank, thank you, you for your service yes. to his Xbox. Courtney doesn't think it'll make enough, so agrees to sell her engagement ring and wedding ring. Then she gets a text that she keeps to herself and insists that they, uh, that they head out. So Courtney drags Addy to Leslie's birthday party at the bistro where Darren will be showing up. Oh, was it Leslie? I thought it was Wendy. No, so they can eat on Leslie's dollar. Dev and Bernie are also invited to Leslie's birthday party and are shocked to see the two lovebirds. Darren is also more than peeved to see his wife and her beau and Courtney plays it for all it's worth. Leslie's birthday is frosty and Courtney is over-affectionate to Addy just for Darren's benefit and he and Courtney argue about her disappearing rings but not like that and Courtney's and Addy's new flat Darren and Addy square up to each other until Bernie steps in and Courtney is clearly loving this what is hilarious is that the birthday party is only frosty on that end of the table (laughs) Yes, Leslie and all of the other guests do not seem to give a shit about what is happening. None of them react. None of them look over. None of them speak. No, no, nobody speaks. God, no. Nobody speaks. Nobody. It's it's the most unnatural looking event I've ever seen on Corey. It's like, wow. these people are ruining your birthday party and you Leslie. can't even Come like, on, pretend to be offended. With poor Leslie's birthday ruined, Bernie makes it clear to Courtney that she knows her game and knows she's just using Addy to get back to Darren. Courtney calls Bernie a witch and she and Addy leave, which allows Darren to approach Dev and offer him five grand to convince Courtney to dump Addy or vice versa. He doesn't care. So Dev goes home and does as Darren asks and offers Courtney five grand to fuck right off, but when Addy comes down the stairs... She seizes on an opportunity, pretends to be thrilled, and announces that Dev has given them five grand as a housewarming present. Of course, Dev can't deny this, so spends the next few minutes acting like post-season six Ross from Friends. Only he could. He could have said, no, this money is for her to go away. And yes, Addy will hate him, but it'll be fine because then... She'll go away. Well, I can understand why he didn't do it then, only if he doesn't essentially do it a few scenes later. Privately, Dev questions her morals. She says she did them a favour and offers to tell Addy the truth. Dev quickly puts the kibosh on that and confirms it's Darren's money. He's a chicken. Addy comes down and announces that they can move into the flat today thanks to the five grand. Huzzah! Addy's packed up in two rucksacks in a box while Courtney thinks about spending Dev's money on a city break. 
she looks disappointed when Addy disapproves, but he eventually relents to a weekend in Nice. He asks her for some help with the bags, but she's not the helping kind and fucks off, asking him to grab her suitcase on his way out. Yeah, I hate her. What a cow. At the shop, Darren isn't impressed to learn what happened to his five grand and tells Dev that he left his wife for Courtney and once the sneaking around is finished, that's when Courtney starts to lose interest. Tell Addy that, plus you owe me five grand, you idiot. So Addy and Courtney move it. So Addy and Courtney move in. This is not a Courtney sort of place, despite her growing up in a place like it. Addy is excited and thinks that they can make it nice. Then next door starts playing Uptown Funk a bit too loud. Addy calls it their song. She says that they don't have a song. He says, we have one now. Right. And he starts to dance. And she's a bit of a cow and starts slamming her fists against the wall. But eventually she joins in and seems to be enjoying herself. Interesting that that neighbour never played loud music when Shelley was alive. <laughs> no. Addy goes home to collect some more stuff, which allows Dev to give him Darren's warning. Addy isn't impressed, realises that Dev gave Courtney the money to get her to fuck off and storms off in a furious rage. With his snow globe. And that's as far as we get with that. She was a bit of a cow about him wanting to bring his bowling trophy. No, not bowling, golfing trophy. Golfing, yeah. Yeah, it's like you do realise this is still essentially a child, right? He's still essentially a child. Mm-hmm. He may be he may be of age, but that prefrontal cortex is not fully fused yet, lady. Leave him alone. Kelly would punch her in the face. Yeah, I, d- I don't see really much in the way of redeeming features. No. In her. No. But this is the... Oh, God, I'm going to bleat on about this again for another couple of minutes. Go right ahead. But this is, this is the problem that we've been talking about. They... They introduce these characters where we know nothing about them. And we hate them. And we, and because we don't know anything about them, we hate them. Yes. And we don't like their interaction with the characters that we do know something about. Right. And this is why this character just seems to... Uh, I don't know, it's just not working for me. I think I'm meant to find some of it funny. I'm really not finding it funny. No. And um, I don't like that they're making what is essentially a grooming story. A comedy story. Yeah, he's all henpecked now. And, right. And, uh, oh, he has to take her suitcase too. Womp, womp. Well, everybody sees exactly what's going on and he doesn't. No. Womp, womp. When he must be thinking to himself, you know, it's about a year since I was shot. Why did I get shot again? Oh, because I launched myself in front of... The girl that I loved. Right. She was my age, by the way. And saved her life. And right. then she left. Yeah. To travel the travel through why, space and time on a TARDIS. Why did she leave again? Where did she leave to go? I just told you. To travel <laughs> through time and space with the Doctor in the TARDIS. Yeah, but assuming that that's not part of the Coronation Street universe. I can't remember what her deal was. Why the she CGI was... is slightly better. Yeah, that's <laughs> definitely debatable. <laughs> I said slightly. I don't know. It's improved since the 80s. Let's put it that way. It bit. has. <laughs> no, I was trying to remember what Courtney's deal was, where her, where her destination Kelly. was when she left. What did I say? You said Courtney. Courtney. She hasn't left yet. Yeah, where, where Kelly was headed. I can't remember. Yorkshire? <laughs> sure. <laughs> She's moving like 20 miles that way. Wales. Because that's where Doctor Who is filmed. Maybe. 
Maybe, uh, maybe make a little appearance on the Only Connect celebrity edition. That'd be quite nice. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just not, just not digging it. No. I mean, we didn't love the storyline when it was announced, much less when it started. And I thought maybe if there was some kind of subterfuge getting done here by Courtney and Darren, that that might make it a little bit more interesting. But no, it's not. It really is what it looks like it is. Or that once it was revealed, that immediately it would be over mm-hmm. sort of thing. What is it, it? There's seriously so little in it for her that... Just the joy of right, rubbing her husband it, up the, the wrong way. Right. And yet losing all this money. And again, you know, that was one of the few redeeming things about her in the beginning was that she was very, very confident in herself and her abilities and was supposedly this really smart businesswoman. And then, you know, immediately after Darren cuts her loose, all of a sudden she can't she can't be bothered to do anything herself and it's like your one redeeming feature has just gone out the window mm-hmm. oh well oh well our penultimate storyline tonight is recovery schmickovery on tuesday a woman heads into the garage looking for an mot she owns a cab firm and has been let down by her old mechanics let's guess where this is going abby and kev turn on the charm but cassie pipes up that she's a junkie and so is abby coked out of their respective tits but this doesn't put the woman off and she hands over her keys. Cassie realises that maybe talking about their history with drugs to complete strangers looking to do business with them might put people off. They send Cassie to the shop so they can talk about her behind her back. Kev is far from impressed, calling her a liability, but Abby thinks that she was just trying to help. Tyrone comes in so they quickly change the subject. The cab lady, Mrs Carlyle, comes back, delighted to hear that her car has passed its MOT. Abby tries to explain about Cassie's comment earlier, but it turns out Mrs. Carlyle is a trustee for a women's charity who helps them recover from addiction and stuff like that. So she's impressed that two junkies. Get jobs. So she's impressed that two junkies can figure out how to do an MOT. Well done. Later, Abby, Kev, and Tyrone talk about the positive consequences of Cassie's clangor and how it seems to be working out. Then Tyrone mentions that the police have found his stolen car. So Wednesday at Tyrone's, Hope has a Jeff Koons sculpture, not a real one. No. One that she's getting made that reminds her of Cerberus. Remember when that one accidentally got shattered that one time? That was hilarious. A real one. Haha. <laughs> Destroy uh-huh. that. Destroy that big stupid glass balloon dog. Oh. The girls wonder where the car is for getting them to school, but the car is still with the police, says Tyrone. Well, how, why are they wondering where a car that has been stolen weeks ago well, is? Well, Hope thinks that because they're in a garage, they should be able to get their hands on another car pretty sharpish. Yes. So Cassie takes them to the bus stop. Lunchtime, and Evelyn goes round to the garage to see where Cassie is when Tyrone gets another call from the police. And the call is to return Tyrone's car, which they do. And the next we see, Evelyn is giving details to the insurance company, including the reg number that they read out. Tyrone admits that he thought the police call was about Cassie and suggests maybe they altered their expectations a little bit. Later, Tyrone is given his car a tune-up when Kev announces that tomorrow is the first day of the new cab contract and reckons Cassie should be made busy elsewhere. But Tyrone insists that they're getting this contract because of Cassie and she won't let them down. And that's as far as we get with that. And so I think they're Cassie giving is... Cassie far too much credit for what 
ended up being right. a positive experience with right. that Mrs. Carlyle. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Because she was already at, she was already really impressed that they had a lady mechanic. They were there. She was. Yes. 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 We're assuming her pronouns are she and her, and not they and them. <laughs> she also points out that Abby is a former junkie, and she learned how to be a mechanic in prison. Mm. So. Yeah, they are giving her far too much credit. Well, Tyrone is giving her far too much credit. Kev seems to have calmed down a bit. This is a classic setup for Cassie an episode to fail of horribly. An episode of Terry and June, where the boss is coming to Terry and June's house for for uh, drinks and and volivants, and there's a terrible confusion, and Terry ends up getting drunk or high on drugs and making a fool of himself and losing the contract or something like that. This is a, a classic. This is the steamed hams 70s. episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> yes, it is steamed hams. Yes. It is steamed hams all over. Aurora Borealis <laughs> in your kitchen <laughs> at this time of year. Yep. Ah, uh, they don't write them like that anymore. But here we have the car back. Yes. The car that is now confirmed by the show as, well, I don't want to blow on trumpet here that, I discovered it's, a couple of weeks ago right, was Tyrone's car. It's a car that hit. knocked down Eliza. Right. It's weird that the police haven't made that connection yet. Would is it still possible that they can make that connection? There are because that realization during the meeting with the important client who runs a cab firm for their MOTs, that might be something that is a bit of a fly in the ointment. There's yes. CCTV all over that precinct. And it just takes Stu seen that car once to say, Oi, that's the car that knocked down my granddaughter. Well, this is my point. I mean, th- this is our, our registration plate that you're going to recognize the second you see it because of all the zeros that are in it. Right. It stands out a mile. Yeah. That's why I recognized it. Right. So this is. Yeah. Th- this is playing a part in something. Right. What it is, we don't know. Obviously, but we're sure not. not to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Steamed hams. Yes. I really wish the steamed hams thing happens. <laughs> we can see Kev trying to climb out his kitchen window. <laughs> oh, God. To run to the McDonald's where Freddy Krueger is. I'm loving it, bitch. <laughs> wow, that's, that's a callback. Oh, that is a callback. That is a callback of the week. <laughs> callback. Of the week. <laughs> Daisy was kind of wearing a uh, Freddy Krueger sweater earlier in the week, only it was pink and orange and not red and black. Yeah. But the same same direction of the stripes. Mm-hmm. Horizontal. Yes. Hey, at least Cassie's sober. We, we guess. We guess. She hasn't come back from dropping the girls off at the bus, though, and it's been hours. Her idea of dropping them off at the bus, I think lacks the vital bit where you hang around until they get on the bus. But Right. It's been a long time. Whatever. All right. Our final storyline tonight is Canadian Psycho. <sighs> on Monday, in the Rovers, Jenny wonders where Stephen got to last night. Last night, he was down by the canal. <laughs> right, with a stick. With a stick. <laughs> while Tim was hanging about. Ways. He was trying to play poo sticks, but he couldn't find a smaller stick. Right. Or a bridge. I think that's vital as well, isn't it? A, a bridge is vital to yeah. playing poo sticks, yes. He tells her that he was working. 
Jenny is numb, not from getting her hole, and can't get Leo out of her head, and can't get a hold of Teddy. She considers going round to see him, and Stephen advises against it. Focus on positive things now. In the rovers, Tim is having a bother with his new Turkish phone. Glenda tells him about a place on Tile Street, so Tim heads off, but drops his phone in the process, cracking the screen. Oh, Tim. Jenny is still struggling later. Glenda thinks the whole thing is dead odd and wonders if Teddy killed Sinkhole Leo after all, but Jenny can't see a way that Teddy could have done that, even if he wanted to. Glenda advises doing some digging on her own then. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Stephen is at work, where all the talk is off the dead Sinkhole Leo body that was discovered. Izzy has an attack alarm and worries about more bodies being out there. Stephen changes the subject and asks everybody what ringtones they have. Michael has soothing bells. Izzy has Mama loves cheese. <laughs> Mama does love cheese. That was gonna be that was gonna be my opening, my opening line. Mama does indeed love cheese. I think that would have been better in hindsight than about the Tupac thing. Yeah. Yeah. Too late to change that. Oh well. But I'm thinking, is this Stephen's plan to check? everybody's phone ringtone right to figure out who, who was has, behind the bush uh, <laughs> who has the, but not the like birdie that. song yes jenny goes to the cop shop to speak to dc tinker about teddy going missing tinker says they're doing everything they can and they'll keep her in the loop and then he just walks away from her right yeah he doesn't say to her do you want to report her mi- report her missing no do you have any clue as to where it could be do right. you have any suggestions for it he just right. says here's my we'll card We'll give me a call you. if something comes up. He just walks off. Ah. Tim gets back from Tile Street. His phone will be getting fixed, so that's good news, isn't it, Helen? Yes, and Mohammed has sent Glenda some chocolates. Sally phones the pub to speak to Tim, seeing as he doesn't answer his phone anymore since it went Turkish. Stephen comes in at this point, intrigued to see a man in denim on the landline. Glenda explains to him about Tim and the Tile Street shop, and Stephen seems a bit suspicious of Tim. But otherwise, Stephen is looking for Jenny. Glenda explains that she's off to report Teddy missing, which unsettles Stephen, but not for long, because next, a suited guy appears looking for a Jennifer Connor. And when Jenny gets back, Glenda reveals that the dude that was looking for her was the Waterford's manager and wants to meet with the staff tomorrow. He didn't look as nice and friendly as the lady rep did the other week. Jenny can't pay attention, though. She's been to Teddy's house and he's not there, but his hallway is full of unopened mail. She calls on DC Tinker and decides to officially report Teddy missing now. Later, Jenny tells Stephen about her day and he does his best to conceal his concern, saying that he's worried that she's becoming fixated. Jenny thinks someone needs to be, as Tinker doesn't seem to give a fuck. She can't leave it like this. On Tuesday, Stephen is in the factory having voggled best countries for serial killers to disappear to. <laughs> Number one, China. Number two, India. Number three, Thailand. And number four... Is that why Gail keeps going to Thailand? Is she secretly a serial killer? Number four was Cuba. I quite... I, I want to go to Cuba. I don't think we're allowed. I, I, I thought we... I thought that was lifted. I thought the no, ban was lifted. I don't think so. Can we pretend to be Canadian and go to Canada? Sure. Or can we... If we can go I to Canada. Cuba. Well, if we can go to Canada as Americans. Right, yeah. He quickly shuts the laptop when Carla arrives and quickly puts in uh, for, some more, for some more time off, saying that Jenny needs a break from all this dead Leo stuff. Other overs, 
Glenda, Sean and Daisy are worried about the meeting with the brewery people today and through the back of the rovers, Stephen finds Jenny phoning round people who may have heard from Teddy, but no luck. Stephen thinks he doesn't want to be found and suggests she forgets all about it and focuses on going to Thailand with him or maybe Cuba. He reckons the new owners will give her compassionate leave, no problem. So then the guy from Waterford arrives and he has bad news and has basically ripped up anything that the rep had promised a few weeks ago. The Rovers will begin a refurb to bring it into the latter half of the 20th century and will be rebranded. This will be the final day of trading for the Rovers' return and all the staff are out in the rear, also from today. Jenny and the others are furious. There's no way they can do this. Daisy thinks the locals will boycott. Adam walks in at this point and Daisy brings him up to speed. He tells Jenny to send him her contract details and he'll look over it for free because they look to fire her on a zero-hour contract and that doesn't sound right for a manager. Yeah. Later, DS Swain comes into the Rovers looking for Jenny and she and Daisy share an icy glare. Swain. <laughs> Through the back, Swain wants to talk to Jenny about the missing persons report she filed. Thank you. Thank Tinker you. was doing nothing. Thank you. But then Stephen comes in and Swain looks far keener to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Swain says, Teddy never left for Canada. Or maybe he got on the next flight, says Stephen. Do you know what, says Swain? We checked that too. Yeah. And he didn't. Which contradicts information that Stephen has provided. Do you care to explain, sir? Stephen is flustered and says that he only had Teddy's word for it because Teddy apparently phoned him from Canada. Oh, and now that he thinks about it, the caller ID said unknown. Swain is very suspicious that this information comes out now and when Stephen tries to talk about the fight between Teddy and Leo, she turns it round and reminds him of his own fight with Leo. She leaves after throwing Stephen the shittiest stare imaginable. I love it! Mm -hmm which Jenny sees but doesn't seem to register. What could have happened to make Teddy murder Leo, says Jenny. Swain. Adam comes back to explain that the contract is airtight and they're best off out of it. They have four weeks to leave the premises or something, apparently. Fuck well, it. Glenda has four weeks to oh, leave yes. her, her residence because yes. she lives there. They can't kick her out of where she of lives. house, right. Fuck it, says Daisy. Let's wreck the joint. Jenny's in. Let's drink the pub dry. So it's free booze at the Rovers, and it's still not that busy. And Ken is on half pints. Steve works out with Asher's help that he's drank 17,000 pints during his time in the Rovers. And then Ken and Rita chat about the end of an era. And I was kind of surprised that neither one of them seems to give a fuck one way or the other. They're both kind of accepting that change happens, and this is, right. this is progress, right? Right. Uh, the building will still be here. It'll just look different. Oh, well. But this was uh, an opportunity for the show to kind of focus on the history of the place a right. little bit more. And I know we look at, at destroying the cobbles or building skyscrapers or <laughs> the <laughs> rovers burst, burns down or there's refurbs and all that sort of stuff. I know that that is a thing that happens frequently. But you still don't want to miss an opportunity for characters to talk about the history of and the Rovers and, the and then the show. 
Right, yeah. Betty's and, picture being up on the wall and, and, par- and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and characters that have passed on. And especially when we know that some of those characters have quite literally passed on or have been having hard times and stuff as of late. And maybe it would be nice to to mention them, you know, and reminisce about their characters and mm-hmm. stuff. Because remember... When was it where they were all sitting around reminiscing? That was in the bistro with Audrey when she tried to kill herself. Yeah. You know, that they was were in the rape all... hotel. I thought it was in the bistro. No, they were in the rape hotel. Because remember, they do that? Rita hid behind a bush. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But not like that. Mm. <laughs> not that night. <laughs> but Roy. <laughs> no. Roy doesn't have a bush. He's manscaped. Yes. Oh God! What? You just don't want me to sleep tonight. <laughs> so he's not ashamed about talking about shaving his balls for money. Broom. We could be making money here if you would just talk about your balls in public. I try. Anyway. Anyway, Motley. I think I think it was an opportunity missed by the show to give the fans a little bit of yes. member berries and right. and that nostalgia buzz. Right, because let's remember, lots of people say that they hate the show now and wish that it was like it was back in the seventies and eighties. People have always stuff. said right, but let's let's give those people something. Just give them a little something. Instead of saying, oh, well, times change. Which is essentially what happened. I mean, people were satisfied. Some people were satisfied from that little exchange between Mm. Ken and Rita. But it was nice to see Ken and Rita sit and talk to each other again. But I I thought it could have gone... Where was Audrey? It could have gone far deeper than it did. She should have been there. So Jenny's packing up later, talking about Johnny and Leo and Stephen. Rita says that she'll always have a roof while she's still around for her. The penny still hasn't dropped for Jenny, who can't understand how Teddy could have killed Leo. Oh, Jenny. By the end of the night, though, the place is looking kind of busy. Jenny is feeling a bit better after a chat with Reet and has decided that she'd quite like to go to Thailand after all. I might not want to come back, she says. We might not have to, says Stephen. So Wednesday, Stephen and Jenny are now living at Rita's. It's nice to see Rita's flat again when, yes. when she's not trapped under a Christmas tree. Right, yes, I was, I was thinking about that and like... Is that the last time we've seen Rita's flat? I think it might have been. Rita is behind the Thailand plan. She regrets not seeing more of the world herself. Eventually, Jenny is worn down by this. So Jenny goes back to the rovers for the last time and shits her breeks when she discovers Glenda sleeping in a booth. <laughs> that She's was got funny. a straw stuck, stuck to, her, to face. her face. The place is littered with empty bottles and a half-dead Daisy comes in with coffees. They discuss applying for their old jobs, but then they all agree not to and Jenny doesn't think that they'd want her anyway. So Waterford's van arrives at the Rovers and Jenny hands over the keys. Jenny, Glenda and Sean gather at the salon uh, under the awning with Daisy and Gemma and take the final photograph of the old gang in front of the pub and a group hug. And Gemma looks longingly at the place. And again, this felt like an opportunity to get a wee bit of an emotional sting to the eye, but that didn't seem to happen either. But anyway, whatever, it leads us on to this week's hard debate. 
So is that the end of the Rovers then? And if not, when will it be back? Next week? Next month? Next year? Or never? Next week was 34.1%. <laughs> next month was 50.2%. Wow. Next year, 10.5%. And never 52 So nobody seems to be believing Nobody the show has any faith in the show. That the Rovers is going to get a refurb and never go back to... The smart money seems to be Christmas. That seems to be where people think it'll all be back uh, to normal in time for Christmas. Isn't Christmas where Tyrone's half-Romanian baby is going to show up, though? I don't think that precludes the rovers going back to normal. Yeah. Maybe I, she's, I, I maybe she's the new manager. You know, there's part of me that's thinking, maybe this is, this is the time that they change it. But this is such a cornerstone. How how do you how do you do that? How do you do something so dramatic and almost like rewriting the show's DNA by changing the rovers? It's realistic though, isn't it? It's realistic. I don't know if realism is anything that's particularly bothered Cornish yeah, Street all that often. I think they do sometimes feel like, well, we we have to show a bit of realism about the changing times and how hard times are for places like the Rovers. Would Ian McLeod yeah. want to be known as the producer who killed the Rovers? Well, I mean, it has been refurbished before. Yeah, it's... But it's still the Rovers. You just have a little snug in the lounge and stuff. So it has changed. And the, They've changed the wallpaper. And the geography of it inside has changed a yes. bit as well. But it's essentially the bar has always been where it is. You've got the little booths and stuff. And it'll still be a bar. I'm sure there'll still be booths. The name will just be different. That feels like such a, a fundamental change. It's, it's almost unthinkable. Well, you know, for a show this old... They do kind of have to change things. I mean, I I will admit, even I was a little shocked when they put a television in there last week. Yeah. It's like, how dare they? Mm -hmm. This is a nice cozy place without a television. Imagine how loud that television is going to be. I mean, I'm thinking the pubs that were in and around my stomping ground when I was a wee boy growing up mm -hmm. and when I started drinking and stuff. There when are, you were a wee boy? There are some... You know, 14. There are still some... Some of those pubs still exist. Right. There's not many of them. They've no. at least changed hands and changed name. But and there's a, a couple that still exist. In, and a lot of them are in kind of more touristy areas where they still exist in the way that they used to be. Hmm. You know? I'd be a brave producer that goes down this path, I think. Well... We'll see, though. Anyway. They did kill off Johnny. They had a floating gun. Hmm. Not sure what so that has to do with anything, but so anyway. they've made brave choices before. After Jenny leaves, Daisy spots Gemma nosing in her phone and asks what's going on, and Gemma announces that she's thinking of applying for the deputy manager job. Gemma apologizes but says that she needs the work. And in the rolls later, Jenny catches wind of this and rushes off upset. So Gemma drops round to see Jenny to apologize. Jenny though tells her that she'd make a great deputy manager. Right. Gemma doesn't even know if she wants it and suggests that Jenny applies for it instead. Jenny is a people person, after all. Gemma hates people. 
I've never related more to her. (laughs) It's awful, though. But and and part of that is how awful the rest of them are to Gemma, Mm -hmm. who has a million kids in a tiny flat and never has any money, even though there's three incomes coming in to that house. Right. Well, Glenda's got our our kiddie uh, talent school thing. Right. Daisy could probably walk into any pub in Manchester and right. get a job. And Sean also works at the factory. Right. Glenda doesn't have any kids. Sean and Daisy at least both have one apiece. Dylan got a mention. I know. He's yes. he's in town. Sean's like, how dare you? I'm a single father. And, and Glenda says, I don't have a Dylan. We all say, you're welcome. Thank goodness for that. So yeah, so Gemma says if Jenny gets a job, she can bring the band back together again. So Jenny goes to see the Waterfords dude to apply for her job, but the guy isn't impressed by the mess they left in the pub and the booze that they drank last night and tells her in no uncertain terms she won't be getting a job. In fact, no one who previously worked there will get any job. And if she or they show up at the pub in the future, he'll call the police. Um, Which is ridiculous. I'm hearing maybe, says Jenny. She's like... Didn't you notice I, I put my I put my CV in a menu folder? <laughs> See how lovely I've presented this CV to you? Like an old lady? Yeah, covered in jus. <laughs> Back at Rita's, Jenny is wiring into the wine with Stephen. Fuck it, she's made her mind up now. Let's move to fucking Thailand. And that's how we end this week's episodes. This, to me, is setting up uh denouement to the storyline yes. at the airport and it's ridiculous because Stephen is so stupid i'm afraid that i'm going to get caught i'm going to do the most suspicious thing ever and attempt to move to thailand <laughs> i'm going to go to an airport oh, they found a dead body time for me to leave time the for- time for you to have left was months ago sir yes months ago even christmas Le- yeah leave it christmas last year if you had left after you stuck teddy in the canal rufus would still be alive are we saying that he just hung about to murder more people t- to take control of the factory that that's shitty what it, wee factory that's, that's what it kind of seemed like and then because it's like you've murdered two people why wouldn't you just quietly slink away especially since you were already planning to leave once you had enough money by selling your mother's flat mm-hmm. underneath her which is still to to come up again right and we also have i thought we were going to get it this week and we didn't was Carla's, Carla's DNA, DNA results. Thing. That's going to come back obviously yes, positive. Yes, So we've got the the body. Right. We've, we've got Tim, who seems to know stuff that's going on. Right. We have potentially another body being found very soon. Right. We've got the Audrey stuff and Sarah stuff. Sarah's suspicious of Stephen as well. Right. But she doesn't think he's a murderer. And we've got the Carla stuff. And Carla, once Carla finds out that Stephen has been drugging her, Right. Is it is it much of a stretch to think that maybe he's got something to do with At a drug Rufus's death of someone? Yeah. Right, exactly. So that feels and him taking off to Thailand right as she finds out about when she, right as she's getting her findings from her test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Carla's gonna stitch this together fairly quickly. Right. One would expect. 
She'd be like, all right, Paul Bags. Stephen was the one who drugged me. Yep. Let's get him. Mob justice. <laughs> right. Peter, hand me my trebuchet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be coming up fairly soon. I don't know when the Super Soap Week is. October 13th. Is it that week, is it? Well, October 13th is when he's watching the show with people at the Coronation Street Experience. Oh, right. So I'm assuming that's when we all get to watch God, the show. God, so that's not next week. That's the week after that again. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday again next week. What the fuck? I quite like it. I mean, honestly, it doesn't bother me. I just like to get mad at rugby for no reason. You said weeks rugby? ago. You said weeks ago. This will be the last time that this gets upset because of the rugby. The rugby's been going on for what feels like about a Forever. month. Forever. I thought I thought the cup game was supposed to be last week. That's why I said that. The cup game? Don't they have like a cup at game? The whole thing's the a fi- cup. The final? Yeah, but the final game. Yeah. The finale. They haven't had it yet. Oh. The You're really finale. good at sport, aren't you? I like sport ball. I like baseball. Baseball's my sport. Yeah, it was funny. We were watching the the high school be dreadful at American football just before we started recording this. And you said to me, I have no idea what's going on here. And I'm fine with it. (laughs) And we watched soccer yesterday. I still don't understand offsides. And I'm fine with it. Now I have this overwhelming urge to mansplain it for you. Yeah, and I just won't listen. No. I will stare at you while you explain. And I'll say, right, okay, that makes perfect sense. And walk away. That's what will happen. Well, let's let's save ourselves half an hour by just not bothering to do that. Thank you. Excellent. Do you think Swain's going to be involved in the, the bringing down the oh, I hope I really so. hope so. I hope so, so much. They can't give it to Tinker because he's dreadful at his job. At least his shadow is gone now, it seems. His shadow wasn't there when he was talking to Jenny at the table. Oh, yeah, that was that was at the at the Rovers, wasn't it? Yeah. And his shadow wasn't there when she and he talked in the police station. Well, the police station is well. probably allowed to walk around off the leash. But not I mean, that, when that, he's talking to people, though. He should never be allowed to talk to people. <laughs> Just generally, should never be allowed. Oh dear! Why would you let that happen? <laughs> That's right in front of you. You'd stop that. It was great that Swain was. You know what? I'm going to take care of this shit. Right. And I, I love I love the way, you know, she and Jenny are at the table and Stephen walks in and he's like, oh, I'll give you guys your privacy. And Jenny's like, oh, no, no, no. Come sit by me. That's all right, isn't it? And Swain's just like, yes, that's fine. As if she wasn't already ready to just sink her teeth into Stephen. And just to be absolutely clear... I'm not joking about how much I love her. No. As a cop in the show. We adore her. Because she's a fantastic cop in the show. Yes. And it's not there she's written well. Yes. But her mannerisms are just so on point Perfect. for it. Because she's not given away anything by saying, Of course have a sit down. Uh-huh. Tinker would be excited about this or or, right. or wouldn't allow it yeah, or something. Yeah, he would show his face. You know what I do like about Craig being a detective now? No more awful jumpers. 
He's just always in that black suit. Yeah. No more awful jumpers. Yeah, so I think, I mean, if we're, if we're allowed to pick the arresting officer, I just I just hope it's Swain. It had better be Swain. And I hope that they give her a really killer put-down line as well. Yes. <sighs> oh, well. Oh, well. That was the we week. We love you, Vicky. <laughs> that was the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Is it is it is it Paul reciting Ecclesiastes right up until the point that Billy came over and started doing it with him, and before the sunbeam? Because once the sunbeam hits, then that that I'm that really reluctant is. to give it to anything to do with that funeral. I think people want us to give it to the funeral. Oh, well, though. well, they can just want. <laughs> is it Daniel and Ryan feeding one another? No, I think it might be. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And talking about their favourite music. It was a nice little scene between the two of them. Yeah. About two characters who really have no business sitting talking to each other. Right. And haven't really done that before. No. But it was nice how they were treating it like a date. And what I right. really liked was a little line where Daniel said, you've totally gone up in my estimations. Right. And Ryan said, well, I'll sleep better tonight. Or words to that effect. Right, right? yes. That little bit of banter between them I thought yeah. was awfully nice. It was good banter. All right, fine. We're finally giving it to Daniel. Daniel and Ryan's date. That's our moment of the week. Our bottom moment of the week. week. Uh, the Paul Sunbeam. It's so cliche, doesn't it? So cliche. And I mean, I don't mind a little cliche here and there, but for a scene that was supposed to be really, really emotional, intense. And that's in Finding God. Was that the moment that he found God? Yes, he found God in a sunbeam. There's the Make Me a Sunbeam song that they can't play in government buildings in the United Kingdom. It's so sad. Get over it. They allow us to play secular music in church. Doesn't affect you. Get over it. We sang Heaven Let Your Light Shine Down at Christmas. Was that Christmas? Or it was, was it Easter? Easter, and it was the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> what about the hundredth time we sang Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah in church? Oh, the guy was actually pretty good in the guitar. Oh, so okay. There was that. There was that. Yeah, sunbeams. That's it. Boring moment of the week. Get creative, people. So, what's your score out of ten then for this week? Hmm. It wasn't as good as last week, but we did get Swain. We did, and we've been calling out for it. Yes, we've been saying, where is D.S. Swain? She would get to the bottom of this. It was very much a a moment of vindication when she showed up. Right, and And knew right away. And we never mentioned it, but the looking at Daisy Uh was still bringing up that uh, emotions from when Daisy was reporting the stalking and stuff. Because Daisy doesn't like Swain because of that. No, yeah. It but, was a great callback. Yeah. And neither one of them said anything. Because they didn't need and to. And they didn't have to because they're both fantastic actors. Yeah. Who don't need to say things. And well well done for the show to just let that happen without right. explanation. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. It doesn't happen all that often. I enjoyed it. Man, that should have been our moment of the week. Oh, well. <laughs> Too late. We've called it now. 
So, yeah. We had to give it to Daniel sometime. Out of 10. Uh, what did I give it last week? You gave it pretty high. I think it was like a seven, seven and a half or something. I gave it eight and a half last week. That's I right, you did. 6.8. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'd agree. I don't think it was quite as good as last week, but I still think it was... It, was it had its moments. Better than it has been. Yes. I think I'll maybe give it a seven and a half this week. All right. Yeah. So, this <sighs> episode was brought to you with thanks to our Freddy friends Kruger. of the podcast. No. Daisy, French Helen, Prickles, DT, and Trisha. Trisha! If you've ever seen a sunbeam. <laughs> if Jesus ever made you a sunbeam. Write in to tell us we're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes of your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists, yes. and our Spongebob podcast, Spongebob Squarecast. Absolutely check that shit out. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more uh, Talk of the Street. Talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.